and welcome to the Super Fun Time Podcast Thingy Hour, the sort of podcast, sort of YouTube show where we discuss any and all topics in the world of nerd. I am once again your host, Jordan, and I am once again joined today by my friends, Matt and Eric. Say hi, Matt. Or not. Hi. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> I didn't prompt you yet. <laughs> now say hi, Eric. <laughs> Hello, hi Eric. All right, great. Oh, that's not going to get old. Um, uh, today is May the 6th, 2020, and this marks our uh, third episode so far. Uh, last week we chatted um, about shows that we watched growing up as kids, and today's topic is our favorite comedy films. Uh, this is what I thought would be a good jumping off point. Um, uh, as you may know, I have a huge um, physical movie collection. Um, by far, my biggest portion of that consists of DVDs, um, but I also have a really big Blu-ray and um, VHS collection. And uh, um, unfortunately, I can't do this now because of the shutdown. Um, but uh, normally, uh, when I'm able to get out and about, one of my favorite things to uh, spend some time doing is going into the sh record shops and um, perusing the DVD and Blu-ray aisles and uh, trying to um, pick out some new stuff for my um, collection. Uh, but because my collection as it is right now is so huge, it gets really difficult for me uh, to remember everything that I have already and whether I've, I've already purchased it. And it's happened more on, on more than a couple of occasions that I've bought duplicates of stuff. So I started um, keeping a, uh, uh, a Word document that I continuously update to remind myself. And uh, so in preparation uh, for this podcast, I decided to uh, go through that list one by one and just uh, uh, pick out um, some of my favorite movies uh, in the, the comedy genre. Um, and when I was doing so, um, I kind of surprised myself at how many movies I was coming across that uh, I wasn't sure if, they, if I could really classify them as comedies because they're like, they're like often pretty funny, but they're also like extremely dramatic in a lot of ways too, like they're like a, a lot of comedies seem to be multi-genre. Like just off the top of my head here, like a, a few of them I listed off here, like Forrest Gump is a good example. Um, that's a hysterical movie, but it's also extremely dramatic, action-packed, utterly heartbreaking. Um, so like, and I say this as someone that used to work in a video store, that if I was tasked with, you know, having to find a place to put this on the shelves, I'm not sure where I, where I would put it. Yeah, like um, uh, like some other examples, like I just had written down, like uh, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Edward Scissorhands, Brazil, Time Bandits, um, some movies like those, like they're kind of like all over the place where it's like sort of darkly comedic, but it doesn't seem, I'm, I'm not really sure it's really at the core of what makes the film what it is. Um, but like, if you could consider it a comedy, then it's, it's sort of like by default, I have to consider it one of my favorites because regardless of like the category, they're like amazing movies on their own. Um, like Brazil, like is like arguably one of the best movies ever made, like probably in the top 10, maybe. I think out of all the ones you listed, that's the one I've never heard of. What is Brazil? Oh, Brazil. Okay. Brazil. So um, it's a Terry Gilliam film. Uh, it's, uh, I guess you'd call it like an, an absurdist comedy, dark comedy, sci-fi. Um, it's, it's like, um, it's like if you wanted to make a movie of 1984, 
but it was directed by Salvador Dali. Like just very bizarre imagery, mm. um, environments, characters, societies, just everything about it is skewed and a little bit off. And it's kind of like, um, it's sort of like a big brother story about how this guy who like works for the government and he gets kind of caught up in this uh, big hullabaloo and he's like working for them, but then he's on the run for from them. And it's like a kind of a, you got the wrong guy sort of scenario, but it, he just keeps falling deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of hijinks and keeps meeting these crazy characters and he keeps landing in, in, in deeper water. Hmm. Um, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, and it's Terry Gilliam's masterpiece easily. As far as the uh, sort of like on the run and keeps getting in deeper and deeper, that reminds me of one of the movies that didn't make my top three, but is, I don't know, it, it almost should have, which is uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. And th that movie all, always reminded me of another one that, um, again, uh, you, you probably haven't heard of this one um, because it's a Canadian film and people don't know any Canadian uh -oh, films. Canadians. But uh, it's called The Wrong Guy. Hmm. You haven't heard of that one? Nope. Okay, no. so it stars Dave Foley of okay. former uh, Kids in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's the same sort of premise, except that it adds one further twist to it. So um, like The Man Who Knew Too Much or um, North by Northwest or movies like that, it's sort of, you know, they've got the wrong guy, they're chasing after him. Yep. So the movie The Wrong Guy is where that's the premise to start the guy a murder happens he immediately basically walks in in this scenario and ends up like accidentally handling the murder weapon getting the blood everywhere getting it all over his clothes and now he knows oh like i'm a suspect for sure i've got to go on the run but then there's there's video evidence that they see right away so they immediately know that dave foley is not the murderer but dave foley doesn't know that they know so he thinks that he's being chased by the cops when he's not. Nice. But because it's just this crazy, wacky com comedy, somehow his paths keep crossing with the murderer anyway. So the yeah. police are still there anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's extremely funny. Um, yeah, you know, I almost, I, this is another thing that I noticed too, is that a lot of like the ones that I had on my list are kind of, movies like that that uh not that no one's heard of but you don't don't get really talked about a lot i think for uh like anybody who's like a super movie buff like you are i think it, it gets more and more likely that your favorites are going to fall outside of like mainstream films i would assume it can get that way um and well i mean i don't know i i tend there's not really a lot of movies that I would hate and not, I don't know, like I, I have a tendency to like most stuff, even if like I don't fall totally in love with it. I, I usually can find at least some redeeming qualities, some things that there are to like and enjoy about it and appreciate about it. Um, but I mean, I like a lot of mainstream stuff too. I mean, you know, like Forrest Gump is one of my favorite movies and that's about as mainstream as it gets. Um, like that's like a movie where like it's so popular mm -hmm that it's almost fashionable to hate it. Um, but like, I, right. I remember um, getting into a conversation with someone not too long ago um, about like Oscar winning films. 
and uh, he was just really going on like a, a bit of a rant about how like there was no movie less deserving than Forrest Gump and how it's just totally overrated and stuff. But like, I like a lot of like, like growing up, um, I still like this movie a lot though. I haven't seen it in a long time, but growing up, my favorite movie was uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty like yeah. widely accepted movie. Like as far as people appreciating it on its, you know, comedic merits. So before we get too far away from like the random Canadian movie, that actually reminds me of a, a movie I didn't even think of, but certainly would have been in consideration, which is Strange Brew. I'm assuming oh, yeah. you've seen Strange Brew. I have. That's. Uh, I don't. That, I've only saw it so once many like, years ago, but. Yeah, Rick Moranis and Dave, uh, Dave Thomas was his name, or Dave, Dave McKenzie. I can't remember. No, McKenzie no, was Dave the Thomas. last name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that came from another, like, Canadian uh, sort of comedy variety show, right? I can't remember what that, I think it was Second City. Right. The McKenzie um, Brothers, yeah, it was a spinoff. Yeah. And I won't sit and talk too much about this, other than to say it is a really hilarious movie, and... Fun fact, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, the plot for that movie is loosely based on Hamlet. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I remember thinking that it was a, a pretty good movie when I wasn't expecting a whole lot from it. I wasn't really a fan of the McKenzie brothers in general. Um, I remember that I enjoyed it, um, but uh, there is one line that stands out for me. Uh, they're driving... Um, in their crappy beat up van. And um, this is fairly early in the movie. I guess they're driving to the brewery, I guess. And um, uh, it's, it's on like kind of like a hillside and they get to a fork in the road and they can go up or down. It's almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon. And there's literally a sign that says which each direction goes to. So the up sign says like to the brewery and then the down sign is like to like an insane asylum or something. So right. whoever it is that's driving is like, never mind the brewery. I'm taking you to the insane asylum. And then the other guy just like, doesn't even laugh at the joke. <laughs> no, man, we got to go to the brewery. Okay, man. But after that, I'm taking you to the insane asylum. <laughs> That's that's like a a good uh, uh, measuring stick for the the sort of comedic tone the movie takes. I thought they're just these two total goofballs that like just complete losers, and that seems to be kind of the gag of the whole movie is just how stupid they are. Yeah, yeah, they're like like ultra stereotypically Canadian, like Canadian redneck kind of thing. And I think, I'm pretty sure they're brothers in the movie, and they they just riff on each other the whole time. Um, very very cheesy, but pretty funny. Yeah, I seem to recall they hit the stereotypes really hard. Like they're all about hockey and and beer. I think. Oh like, yeah. In one of the first the first scenes in the movie, they like fill their dog's water dish with beer. Like everything is beer. Yeah, the dog's name is Hosehead, and they're constantly just calling each other hosers. Like, take off, take off, you hoser. <laughs> um, what, like, what the the scene that stands out the most to me is like the quintessential like comedic scene of the movie that like 
lots of people know and remember is when it's like at the beginning of the movie and I think they don't have enough money for beer because they spent it on something stupid. Um, and so they know their dad is going to be pissed if they don't bring back a case of beer. So they like, one of them's like, oh, I heard about this trick, eh? Just, uh, just follow, follow it for me, eh? So they get to the beer store and they're returning, uh, I think like, I don't know, they're returning their empties or something. And they put a mouse in the bottle and they're like, uh, so we found a, a mouse in our bottle of beer, eh? So I believe uh, we'll get a free case, eh? <laughs> uh, that classic trick. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry that you missed out on that classic of uh, Canadian cinematography there, Matt. But if you can go back and watch I'm it. So, I, I do. I have to watch, like, overtly Canadian things. Honestly, you should. It's really good. And actually, the story to it ends up being pretty good as well. well good, good. I'm looking forward to it then. There you go. I need that Canadian stereotype, especially like Northern Ontarian or West, just in my veins. Yeah. Like, I want to learn to talk like that. I'm just going, oh, fuck yeah, bud. Let's go get a ripper, bud. <laughs> oh, yeah, for a rip, are you, bud? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of quintessentially Canadian movies, these are not comedy at all unless you count how like cheesy are they are. But have you guys seen the Cube movies? Uh, they're some of my favorites. Yeah, I love the Cube movies. The, uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, I think the first Cube is the most financially successful Canadian film of all time. Wow. And I, th I, th I believe it's mostly because of that. Uh, it, it is that because of Japan. Those movies are huge in Japan. It makes sense because they're they're literally like like Saw like ten or fifteen years before Saw. Yeah, yeah. In a way, the uh, like the first I, movie. I, I, yeah, I think they're really cool. Honestly, I think seen when Cube Two. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying. I, I don't think I've seen Cube Zero. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I I thought Cube Zero was a lot better than Cube Two. Um. The hypercube, um, like I honestly like I have that one in my collection, mainly because my OCD compels me to have a complete set. It would just feel weird to not to yeah. have the other two cube movies and not that one. Um, but that movie was pretty brutal. Um, it had some neat ideas, um, and it was shot interestingly, but the acting was unforgivable. It was it was so bad. The acting wasn't fantastic in the first one, but it was, it was passable. Mm. But the first one was a genuinely well-done sci-fi horror movie. Um, but, you know, uh, Cube Zero... So Cube Zero is actually a, um, it's a prequel. And I, I won't ruin it if mm. you haven't seen it. Um, but um, okay. I, I liked it. I thought it was well done. It had an interesting story, interesting characters. It was shot really cool. But the problem with it is that it completely nullifies the mystery and intrigue of the first movie. Because the first one is, it's, it's as much a psychological horror as it is a physical horror. Yep. And it's all about like, the, the scariest part about it is the unknown factor. And Cube yeah. Zero basically makes an attempt to explain all of it. Oh, okay. So. Hmm. I, I feel like that could be good and bad. Okay, I I think I think fingers crossed. <laughs>
we've got all of our issues sorted out for the time being. Some weird issue involving an SD card. Don't ask me to explain it. it by all accounts, it doesn't make any sense. But that appears to have been the culprit. So I'm going to cross all my toes now, too, and hope uh, that this was uh, the last technical snag that we ran into today. Um, but it looks like everything's running smoothly here. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Aside from the fact that we've had one of our uh, participants apparently transmogrified, uh, let's see if we what can pick up. I'll <laughs> well, see. I don't know. I need to get a new prescription. Apparently. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, mine's good. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your optometrist? Uh, Colonel Sanders. Oh. Okay. Doctor Colonel Sanders. Oh, right. The other Colonel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I don't. I can't even remember uh, where we left off. How do we pick up this conversation? What the hell were we talking about? Oh, we were talking well, about Cube. But yeah, we were literally yeah. rambling and rambling and rambling. But none of us ever actually got to any of the movies that are part of our top three. So no, yeah, we got totally there. off off topic of of comedies. Okay, how about this for a way of bringing it back on the track? Because we were talking about Canadian comedy. And uh, uh, that's right. you mentioned Strange Brew and all that. So this isn't like a Canadian comedy, but one of the most famous Canadian comedians in film, because I already mentioned Ace Ventura. Like I was a massive Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and like so many of his other films absolutely would make my list. Um, I still think his, like his, he's done dramatic films, obviously, but his comedic masterpiece for me is Liar Liar. Uh, yeah, Don't Liar Liar is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie so much. Yeah, pretty much all of his old comedies are like all classics for me, for sure. And one of them did make my list. But it wasn't Liar Liar, but that is a really good one. Yeah. Liar Liar made my that, list. That movie kind of got me sort of into trouble in high school because I had a spare. And um, I guess this would have been in grade 12, if not 13. And uh, because I was a giant nerd, I spent all of my spares in the library. And uh, I was hanging out with my buddies uh, on this one occasion, and I was um, reenacting uh, like a whole bunch of scenes from Liar Liar. And then uh -huh. the librarian was like, listen, buddy, I, it's great that you love this movie, but you're in the library, can you keep it down? <laughs> and he actually offered to give me um, the last 10 minutes of the period to use the back storage room if I wanted to just perform for people. <laughs> I didn't take him up on the offer, but that, it was a nice gesture. kind of creepy. <laughs> they can go to the back of the storage room if you want to act. We had, this is a total tangent, but we had this other really creepy librarian <laughs> who would always get Good. mad at people for leaving garbage in like the study cubicles. Like and he would always like approach people after the fact if he like had suspicion that they were the culprits. So he'd like walk up to people sitting in like another area of the library. He'd be like, listen, boys and girls, I don't know who did it, but don't believe in any garbage in the cubicles. Don't believe in anything mind unless wow, it's five awesome. or $10 bills. Like, okay. nice. <laughs> Sorry. Call the cops. Just call the cops. That's kind of weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, and um, uh, on staying on the train of Jim Carrey, um, 
another movie that I was really obsessed with and for me still holds up, but I've, I've found some people apparently seem to Whoa. think that it's a little cornball looking back. Ooh. Um, is uh, <laughs> getting a little off on guard here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say a movie that I, I still look at fondly is The Mask. Oh. And like, that was a movie that like at the time, uh, the special effects were unlike anything in any other movie. Like it was un incomparable. And even though like we've seen movies that are like maybe more like technically or visually impressive, I still feel like that movie has like an extremely unique look to it that I haven't really seen replicated anywhere else. Are we talking about the mask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. brought us that for a sec as soon as you said the title. So like, but safe assumption oh. was the mask. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the mask. I, I love that movie. And like, I, I was saying, I, I don't know if, how much picked up or caught out, but I was saying like, it looks so different from any movie that I had seen when it yeah. came out, and it still kind of does. It was definitely. a live action cartoon, basically. Right. Yeah. I feel like out of all Jim Carrey's old comedy classics, that one and um, uh, what's the other one that's pretty dark with Matthew Broderick? Oh, uh, the, the Cable, cable guy. guy. Yeah, those ones were like, uh, as an adult, I appreciate them more, but as a kid, they like they were harder for me to appreciate because I just wanted like the goofy comedy, and those ones got pretty dark. Yeah, more so the Cable Guy. Yeah, well, he was just like straight up insane. Cable. Yeah. Yeah, I re like that's a movie that's appreciated a lot more now. But at the time, people really panned it. They were because it that wasn't, wasn't what they were expecting. Not at all. Yeah, for sure. So, of course, Dumb and Dumber is like uh, the classic as well. Yeah, Dumb and yeah, Dumb and Dumber is like. I mean, a lot of those old Jim Carrey movies are like literally the whole movie is just nonstop laughs. Um, yeah, I think like the last I, I wasn't super into um, Bruce Almighty, but uh, me myself and Irene I thought was hilarious as well. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed Bruce Almighty. Just like the one scene, I think I got. I'm not sure how much got cut, but I swear I remember a version. Or is that Niagara Falls? And like, uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, the scene gets modified depending on where it's airing. It's the back to you fuckers. Oh yeah. Because sometimes he'll flip off the camera, but sometimes oh. he just has a fist up or something. <laughs> but I just, I just fucking love that part. Just back to you, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, like doesn't a that movie take place in Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's an interesting kind of side topic about how like movies with like vulgarity would be like either censored or adapted for either television or Snakes certain audiences. Like I remember Monday like Friday Snakes on this Monday Friday plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> like um oh god, I don't remember what uh what movie it was, but they replaced they replaced uh, motherfucker with mamma jamma. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So it's like, uh, oh, that, that's totally believable. I think we watched a compilation in college of the, uh, uh, was it RoboCop 2? Because it had a lot of straight like TV edits. Oh, is that right? It, it was a RoboCop movie or something. But I think they replaced like fuckers with bitches. <laughs> I think, like, so is Liar Liar like one of your top three favorite comedy movies? I, I, I don't think I'd put it in my top three. Um, like, because I, I mentioned at the top that I was going through my, my whole list of every movie that I own. So this was just kind of like one of the comedies that I put like an asterisk on. But like, I mean, if I wanted to put it to a top three, I would maybe say, uh, okay, well, number one, I think it's the funniest movie of all time has to be Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yep. Um, I don't really have, I don't really have much to say about it. It's hard to describe the movie. Like you kind of just have to watch it and you'll get why it's so funny. Like pretty much every scene in that movie is memorable and quotable. Exactly. Black Knight, Kyrie Banarg. Yeah. I think yeah, when I was, where they get arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes a hard left turn. <laughs> I, I think still when I was a kid, the rabbit scene was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, just the whole shit with the Holy Hangrid and like, it's the holy hand, not to two, not to five. <laughs> now, I, I five, also, I really liked um, uh, the chasm of of uh, I can't remember what was it, the chasm of peril or the chasm of despair. One of those two, but it was like on their way to the, uh, to fight the, the rabbit king. or something, or or to get to the the end castle. It's been a while since I've seen it. I can't really remember the chronology of how the story lines out, but the whole. Answer me the questions three, and everybody keeps getting <laughs> cast into the the, the pit color. of eternal the pit of eternal peril. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also, like, I'm a huge fan of um, uh, Anchorman. That one probably also has to yeah, be my top Anchorman's three. Anchorman's really good. Um, that and you know that that's an interesting movie. Also, that I had uh, extremely low expectations for it. I went just with some friends because everybody was going to see it and I didn't really want to see it because I don't know if you remember the, the, the trailer for it, but the trailer was awful. The trailer made it look so unfunny. And it was just like, okay, I mean, I guess I don't have anything else going on on a Saturday night. Why not? I laughed my ass off. Yeah. I found, I always found it kind of like a weird coincidence that like, Anchorman and Bruce Almighty came out around the same time, hmm. and they're both about like newscasters in a weird comedy. Yeah, <laughs> and both have Steve Carell. Yeah, true. <laughs> Steve Carell turned out to be like, I don't know. I, I like. I, I'm not even one of like these people that's obsessed with The Office or anything, but just like his character on The Office. This is again like getting off topic. But, like, it's similar to what he did in Anchorman because he turns out he's, like, like he's, like, almost, like, not even functional. But he's no. just able to tell our prompter so everybody thinks he's Fucking an brings a grenade to the war. Where'd you get a <laughs> grenade? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was very uh, irreverent humor, for sure. 
Well, I think the king of like irreverent humor is uh, like an airplane. Yes, that also <laughs> is on my list. Absolutely. Um, airplane has the most absurdist humor. That's that's it, it's yeah, extremely it's, absurdist, and it's it's so it's so strong because like all of the jokes on their own. Yeah, like yeah, all the jokes on their own are like really well written, but also like it's so impactful because it doesn't let up. It's just joke, joke, yeah, joke. Yeah, like it keeps going. Yeah. An- another movie that I thought that about is um like so I'm a big fan of like the Muppets. I love the Muppet show and like yeah. the movies and stuff like that. Um but the the recent um reboot, the soft reboot, the that was just called The Muppets. Um, was it the show or the movie? No, the movie. Was, okay, yeah. It was before the last... I don't remember what the last one was called. Um, but the one before it. Um, okay. And it was like... You know what? I've got IMDb open. Let me just look it up real quick here. I should remember this. But anyway, I guess the point I'm getting at <laughs> is that while the second half um, is is good, it slows down a little bit and starts to focus on the plot a little bit more and like character development stuff like that but um the first half hour of that movie or so i i could barely take a breath it's just (laughs) non-stop jokes here we go uh 2011 is when that one came out starring uh, jason siegel and uh, amy adams okay and uh i can't even really explain what it was about it that it was so good it was just the the just the quality of the jokes was just really really high and again it had that relentless quality it did not let up what was the last one called the muppets uh most wanted that was the last one that was 2014 all right that had ricky gervais in it that one was okay but the 2011 Muppets, I, I highly recommend that one. And probably my favorite Muppet movie has to be um, Muppet Treasure Island. That's extremely yeah, I really funny. like that one. Yeah. Very well done. The humor is very strong. And it's also got, like, it's a really good, um, like, not parody, but, like, retelling of that story. <clears throat> And yeah. I've also got to say, like, like I'm a big Tim Curry fan in general, but his performance in that movie was really good. Really good. Um, like, he totally, like, sold the character. Um, it might have been the best representation of Long John Silver I've ever seen. And the, hmm. the scene near the very end, and this is based on an old story so i don't think i'm ruining anything anything um if you haven't read or watched of some variant of treasure island by now that's i'm not taking responsibility on that so spoiler alert <laughs> that's all you get from me but near the end when um long john silver uh is fleeing the ship and is trying to get away with all of the treasure and um jim hawkins catches him and threatens to blow the whistle on him there's this extraordinarily dramatic moment and it's got just, it's uh, just all how Tim Curry plays it in his face. 
it's it's soul crushingly sad and dramatic like i i in in a, in a muppets movie it's crazy <laughs> it's just, and meanwhile like kermit's doing his thing yeah <laughs> And that's another one of those movies that, like, both my brother and I, like, have been quoting constantly ever since we, we saw it. Like, we wore out our VHS copy. We've seen it so many times. <laughs> Anytime anyone, anyone around my brother or I mentions the ocean, we've got to go through that whole gag about how ocean? Ocean? Yeah, the ocean, you know? The big blue wet thing? Oh! <laughs> oh, the big blue wet thing! Yeah, <laughs> I think I've always gravitated towards very goofy, just silly, just silly off the wall humor, which is like why like Monty Python and stuff yeah. like that has appealed to me so much. Speaking of Monty Python, did you ever see um, the show Faulty Towers? Oh yeah, big fan of that show. Yeah, that was that was pretty off the wall as well. Yeah, I think um, the uh, um, her her name was Connie Booth. She played the um, the maid in Faulty Towers, mm. and if I'm not mm. mistaken, at the time she was married to John Cleese. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, let's see what else do I have on my list here. Oh, this was another one. Um, uh, I I almost thought of this too as like potential for another topic later on in terms of like movies that you've watched the most because this movie also would make it onto my list um and my, my brother and i were also talking about this not too long ago um i think the, the one movie that i've probably seen more times than any other movie is probably jurassic park i'm not really sure why but i've seen that movie dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times but okay. a, a very close second i think is mrs doubtfire I love that movie. Hello. <laughs> Toodaloo. Also, like, infinitely quotable. Um, and uh, just uh, the way that the story is, is structured has a, a very strong flow to it that it's, it's so easy to, like, anytime, like, if it, like, not that I, like, watch TV or cable anymore, but in, in those days, if you were ever channel surfing, it didn't matter what point at the movie you you caught it in. You would just get sucked right into it. You would have to sit down and finish the whole thing, um, because I think uh, I think the 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 script is is that strong. And I think it's uh, uh, I mean probably the movie that launched Robin Williams, but uh, and it wasn't by any means his first, but it was like his one that really exploded him. Um, but I think that was his his uh, crown jewel performance, probably. Again, comedically, he's done other dramatic things like Jim Carrey. But um, oh, there was that movie that uh, I think we watched at at your uh, old place in uh, Hamilton, um, <laughs> Kung Pao. Did we watch? Oh, I can't remember. Kung Did we watch Pao. Kung Pao? With we watched Kung Pao. Yeah, that movie is. That's where I first watched Kung Pao. Oh yeah, it's it's beyond words. That was my first time. It's amazing. <laughs> it, it was one of those movies that like I had never heard of, and uh, a friend introduced me to it, and 
as like I think he he lent me his copy, and so after I was done watching it, the first thing I did was run out and buy my own copy, and then kept telling as many other people about it as I could. I'm just like people have to have to know what they're missing. It's it's just it's so fucking stupid. It's extremely it's, stupid. It has to be one of the stupidest movies that exists, <laughs> and I love it for that. Pardon me, I would like to purchase a pound of nuts. That's, That's a lot of nuts! <laughs> uh, what else have I got on here? Oh, here's a movie um, that I also make a lot of recommendations for. Um, because, like, Kung Pao, uh, I don't think didn't get, like, a big release. So it flew under the radar. But this is a movie that not a lot of people, especially younger people, haven't heard of just because it's a, a really old movie. Um, in fact, I am going to IMDb it right now to get the year. I think it's like in the 1930s. Let me take a quick look-see here. Uh, oh, wow, 1950. Okay, so it's not quite as old as I thought it was. Uh, but it's, it's old enough that it, like, can fairly be described as a classic film. Uh, Harvey, you heard of that one? It's a Jimmy Stewart well, black and white comedy. And in fact, a little while ago, there was talks that um, Steven Spielberg was gonna do a, a remake, but the project ended up getting dropped for one reason or another. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, um, online backlash was a big part of the reason because I know myself, included a lot of us were uh very vocal about how you got to leave the classics alone and that if you want people to see this just show the old movie like yeah. i don't understand why theaters don't do this there's no overhead the movie's already done the movie's already made you don't have to spend anything just show it again i think they're afraid that like kids these days just won't accept jimmy stewart or or black and white, or or something. Um, but and if I'm not mistaken, the film is based on a, originally it was a a play, I think. And you can kind of tell from the way that it's it's done that it lends itself very much to having sort of a a monologue style, because the premise of the film is this extremely friendly, happy-go-lucky guy who is essentially hallucinating that he has a six foot, two inch tall imaginary friend rabbit. And everywhere he goes, he keeps introducing everybody to this rabbit that isn't there. Okay. Um, and I won't spoil it any more than that. And that's but, the titular uh, character? What's that, sorry? And that's the titular character, the rabbit? The, the, the rabbit is named Harvey, yeah. Have, have you ever seen, uh, this is sort of a, a, a soft tangent, but uh, I'm going somewhere with this. Have you seen um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, I love that movie. So you may recall there's a scene where Judge Doom comes to the bar looking to arrest and uh, summarily execute Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And they're hiding in the back room. And Judge uh, Doom is trying to um, get information out of the people at the bar as to where he is. And one of the guys says, hey, I see the rabbit. And um, Bob Hoskins' character, uh, what's his name, Eddie Valiant, is certain that this guy, yeah. who's yeah. otherwise kind of a creep, is going to rat him out. 
is going to, oh, he's going to give away that I'm hiding him in the back room. But then he says to him, he, he fakes putting his arm around someone at the bar who's not there and says, well, say hello, Harvey. That's what that's a reference to, if you never got that before, because Harvey's oh. an invisible rabbit. <laughs> okay. So now that's one more that's joke cute. that you understand that you didn't before. <laughs> so we already talked a lot about Jim Carrey. One movie we didn't mention, which is uh, like one of my favorite comedies and one of my most watched movies ever, for sure. I definitely used to be able to like just recite it as I was watching the movie was uh, Ace Ventura when nature calls. Oh, the second one. Yeah. Nature calls. Okay. Yeah. As an adult, like so, I I owned the first one on VHS as a kid, but I didn't own, or sorry, I owned the second one, but I didn't own the first one. Okay. Um, as an adult, I've rewatched the first one a few times and realized, judgmentally, I probably like it more. I think it's I don't know. First movies in a series are usually better, um, but Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls was the one I was definitely obsessed with as a kid, and. Uh, yeah, and I mean, that one is pretty much, like, funny from start to finish. There's a lot of, like, really hilarious scenes. And that was, like, right in the middle of Jim Carrey's heyday of, uh, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if it, it was a new style of comedy, but certainly it seemed like he was, like, breaking ground at the time. Looking back on it, I didn't get it as a kid, but looking back on it, you're like, why was that guy so famous? Like, he must have been doing something that nobody else was doing. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he really did a style of humor in a new way so much as it was that he threw himself into it 100%. Like, he was completely fearless. Yeah. Like, there's had, really no one like Jim Carrey. Yeah, it, it was, he had no fear. He had no, no consequence of, like, or a concept of, you know, being afraid of, like, how people were going to view him. Or yeah. like being judged or whatever, he was just going to commit entirely to being as off the wall and as overblown as possible. And like I, I, I said this when um, Jordan, you were talking about the mask, but like he himself is a living cartoon character. Like he's a very animated person. Yeah, back in his his early days of stand up, like a big part of his shtick was um, just like impressions and the way that he would warp his face. It was almost scary yeah, he, like, how, he, how he could emulate people. Yeah, like there's a there's an interview for uh, when he was like promoting the Sonic movie, and he was like doing a quote from when he was the Grinch, right? And the way he contorted his face into the Grinch's face, basically, it's like yeah. Oh, it wasn't full makeup, like yeah, <laughs> the, the big grin that he does yeah, that yeah like clearly recreates the famous shot from the cartoon is 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 pretty like freaky he can do that like yeah I, I love that movie too i don't know a lot of people don't like the jim carrey grinch movie i think it's fantastic it's so weird <laughs> it is yeah but everything looks weird and gross whoville like, <laughs> is, is awful <laughs> well haven't you ever like read the storybook though or, or even re like watch like well, the, the, the cartoon, cartoon does a good yeah the cartoon recreates the book pretty closely the, the cartoon makes it look a bit more whimsical while it's like kind of grungy in the movie hmm <laughs> interesting yeah, grungy, I never got grungy like, I mean not grungy but like it, I don't know it doesn't look as happy go lucky everyone looks is kind of an asshole too. Mm, that's <laughs> not just true to the Grinch. <laughs> 
Yeah, it kind of seemed like it was setting up this uh, us versus them dynamic to further hammer in why, like, the Grinch is the way he is. Because that's the thing. The, the cartoon and the book doesn't go into any backstory at all. That was kind of a neat thing. Yeah, that was, with, that was, that was the expanding yeah. lore. Right, yeah, it really shows uh, the history of how he got to be the way it is. So I guess kind of making a lot of the Who's um, like as like judgmental as they were was like, I guess, a, a choice to uh, really illustrate like why it is that the Grinch would have been so shunned in the first place. I guess also like live action Dr. Seuss characters is just horrifying in general. So it's like, <laughs> like that might contribute, but like, yeah, I still like that movie. It's still really cool. I like it too, mostly because my sister really liked it and she always makes us watch it at Christmas. So I've grown to appreciate it. But um, <laughs> that j this brings my brain into like a total tangent thing, which is like, maybe you have, maybe you guys have some insight into this, but like why? when Hollywood gets their hands on something and intends to make a blockbuster out of it, do they always have to insert new plot lines and like totally new angles? Is that always like, as an adult, particularly analytically, that always rubs me the wrong way. Cause I feel like to me, it like comes off as like arrogant that they can like always make something better. I'm sure a lot of people have had this thought. Yeah. Well, um, I think oh, it could just be runtime. There, there's, there's three soft theories that I have on it. One is what you just said, that it's just kind of arrogance. They think like we're gonna make it better. Like I've, I've got this idea, and so I'm gonna add my own signature to it, sort of thing. Another could be um, because I've never produced a Hollywood film, so I'm not really sure exactly the process. But it could just be that they don't we'll know. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully I'll have better internet than this. Um, uh, um, it could just be no, that they don't know. Right. Yeah, it could just be that they don't know if they can um, milk a full like 90 minutes, like if they can get a feature film out of it. So they've got to mm. pad it in some way. Yeah. Mm. And then a third angle you could look at it, and this is maybe the most, like the more positive uh, argument for it, is... Um, you like you're you're already like you're you're talking about something that's already been done so it the argument is sort of like why do the same thing over again if you're going to do it at all you may as well add something new to it in like mm. to justify it right because if you're like oh like that's so stupid i don't like what they did what they changed what they added what they took away whatever well the original work that it's based on is still there it, it hasn't been ruined. Like that's what really, what really pissed me off so much about, you don't hear it so much anymore, but it, it became sort of memeified, this mentality of uh, things being rebooted or whatever. It ruined my childhood. No, it yeah. fucking didn't. Your childhood is perfectly intact. Yeah, that's a bit that dramatic. That thing that you still love yeah. is still there. Oh, like the new Star Wars movies ruined Star Wars. No, Star Wars is exactly what it's always been. You can still go back and watch the old movies and the cartoons and whatever else you like, or read the the young adult Jedi Apprentice novels or whatever it is about Star Wars. The video games, the video games are great. If anything, Rogue Squadron, Jedi Knight. Yeah, 
<laughs> but like uh, you can you can find enjoyment like out of any aspect of of anything that's i don't know kind of a trite statement because it's so open-ended but you don't like just to keep redoing the same thing over and over and over again um i don't know no. like i mean because you hear a lot of criticism about that too like how hollywood is out of ideas hollywood is just rebooting everything and doing the same things again there's no originality there's no like everything's been done already kind of thing so in a sense you could say I don't know if if you're going to not come up with your own idea and use a pre-existing property, um, you know, it it's it might make it more worthwhile putting a new spin on it if for no other reason than to uh, make it something you haven't seen before. But th 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 there's also kind of like the negative spin on that same point too, which is that. Um, I feel, I get the sense that a lot of producers and studios and stuff, uh, like kind of like what I was talking about with Harvey earlier, like, oh, like we can't just show the original. We need to remake it because newer audiences are too sophisticated yeah. for older actors or old style looks, right? So it could just yeah. be that there's just not a general respect for audiences, that they don't think that they can appreciate old properties without putting new modernized anachronisms and 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 in idioms in them and things like here, here's here's a good example too like i was telling you guys um about how i was re-watching in preparation for this um uh, the austin powers movies which we didn't hit on yet also austin powers international man of mystery probably also in my top three um but i also watched uh the second and third ones second one Pretty good. Uh, not as good as the first, obviously. I still thought it was pretty funny. Um, mm -hmm. The love interest was was pretty weak, and Fat Bastard was not as funny as I remember him being. It was a little cringe, honestly. Uh, but on the <laughs> whole, it, it had some it had some pretty good gags, and it had probably my favorite uh, gag of the whole trilogy when uh, Dr. Evil's chair starts freaking out and he blurts out, "Somebody, <laughs> I I need an old priest and a young priest." <laughs> <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but this is what I was getting at. Um, in turn, uh, um, in related to what I said about uh, trying to like add these modern uh, references and anachronisms and stuff. Uh, the part in in the third one, Goldmember, that was so cringe. When they keep having Doctor Evil trying to act hip by saying all of these cliche things oh. that like kids <laughs> and young adults would say. And, the movie came out in like 2000, so yeah, and it's it's later. sort of like I, I I get the joke, but the way it's coming across is just so tryhard, and like oh, oh look here's a whole scene where he's gonna like get all of the prison inmates on his side because he's doing like a Tupac rapper like something. Oh, yeah. just, when is this gonna be over? That scene felt like just like they were trying to recreate the. Um, what was that scene from the second one that uh, the what if God was one of us where he's singing that and trying to take credit for it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and just like yeah everything that he knows now about the 90s he's trying to come back to the 60s and he calls his moon the death star and, right. uh, yeah we will call this the Alan Parsons Alan project, Parsons project. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, and the, I liked in the second movie how, like, in the first movie, you know, he asked for a million dollars, and that amount of money is, like, nothing. That's, like, peanuts. And then in the second movie, he, like, he thinks he's learned from it, so he asked for a hundred billion dollars. But it's, like, way too much. Nobody has that. <laughs> I can't remember the name of, uh, who's um the, uh, um oh, the Shawshank guy? Uh, Tony Robbins. He plays the president. Tim Robbins. Tim, sorry, Tim yeah. Robbins. Oh, yeah, Tony Robbins is somebody else. He's that yeah. uh, inspirational speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Robbins. Um, he plays the president, and he's like, I got the money doesn't even exist. That's like, I was like, I wish for a gajillion, trillion, grillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, he's like flapping his knee and stuff. <laughs> Oh, oh man. And, and the same thing about um, taking like credit for stuff. He he threatens the White House and then just shows them a scene from Independence Day of the White House blowing <laughs> and they're up. They're all freaking out. <laughs> no, no, no. This is it's just for a movie. It's just for a movie. You're okay. You're okay. Don't worry. Okay. There's a lot of really brilliant writing in those trailers. Um, like even Goldmember still has a lot of good stuff in it, even if yeah. it's the weakest. But there was a reference. Uh, from the first one that I never got until recently when I watched this old British series called The Prisoner. Have you either of you guys ever heard of that? I love The Prisoner. The Prisoner's fantastic. Yeah. But that's like, I just watched it all the way through like a few weeks ago. And that's for sure like one of my favorite TV series now. But so now I finally understand the who does number two work for reference. Oh. <laughs> I, I, just the whole number two thing in general, right? Why oh, that character is named number two. Who's now, number two because shit, right? <laughs> Well, that's what they made the joke into, but that's not why he was called number two. So, yeah. Yeah, if you're not familiar, so The Prisoner is this British series where um, uh, ex-British uh, spies, when they retire, they're kidnapped and sent to this island to live out the rest of their lives so that they can't give away any government secrets. And they're stripped of their identities, they're stripped of their names, and everyone is given a number. So the series uh, centers around the main character is number six. And sort of the premise of the show is him trying to get off the island and also trying to figure out like how the island runs, how like all, like there's this weird hierarchy. And the person that he always has to deal with is, is number two, because he's like the second in command. But even he, who's sort of like the director for the island, still works for number one. So that becomes like the subplot of the series is him trying to figure out who the man behind the curtain is, who is number one. And whoever number one is, is never happy with the job that number two does. Because this is sort of a gimmick of the show is that in every episode, with only like one exception, every episode, number two is fired. And there's always a new number two. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's where they they get the the character is called number two, but then it just turns into a poop joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So that was cool. Um, okay. So my other two movies. It's funny that you mentioned movies that sort of like cross genres. Um, definitely, both of these movies I would say are still like land solidly within the comedy genre, but they both have. Honestly, they're both pretty much like feel-good movies for me, which is why I like them a lot. Like, I'm not a huge comedy guy. Um, I, I like certain comedies I like a lot. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I always just like feel-good stuff. So 
Uh, one of my other ones is Groundhog Day, Bill yep. Murray. Okay. Classic. I gave um, that an asterisk. Yep. Nice. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Bill Murray is just like a, a total asshole, uh, like news reporter, and him and his, uh, I don't know, it's like some lesser news reporter for his organization. Uh, what's her name? Frances McDermott. Is that her? No, no. Um, oh, gosh. Can't remember now. Not Mini Driver. I always confuse Mini Driver and this particular actress we're talking about. Uh, Andy McDowell. Right, right. Yeah, so they go to some podunk town. Like, they're assigned this stupid assignment to go cover Groundhog Day in some podunk town. And it's the story. Actually, it reminds me a little bit of Scrooged with Bill Murray as well, in the sense yep. that, like, Bill Murray is kind of, like, real, like, he's, like, a total asshole, but then he ends up in a situation where he's forced to change his ways. Yeah. Because uh... Bill Murray, like, he lives through the day, um, and then he wakes up the next day, but, like, the day of arriving there and, like, doing this stuff in this town is reset. So it's like yeah. the thing of like at first like he goes to the day a few times and he's just like freaking out he's like this is weird and then he gets bored of it and then eventually the lesson of the movie is like he um well one there's a lot of cool things where he'll like he gets really good at Jeopardy like the episode of Jeopardy <laughs> <laughs> that's on that day and he like he's able to learn piano and like impress people and make it seem like he's an amazing pianist because he just does it every day um, but the lesson of the movie ends up being like. Uh, he's only able to like escape his circumstance once he finally kind of does everything right and is like a nice person to everybody. He like spends time with the elderly and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it's a, I don't know. I can't even remember like what makes it funny other than it's just Bill Murray. Like Bill Murray is just pretty hilarious on his own. Yeah. It's sort of like uh, he is a jerk, but he still comes off as sort of like. He's a lovable jerk. Yeah, he's a lovable jerk. Like, he's just, like, he's the everyman. And he kind of reacts, like, he's easy to project onto. You can see yourself mm -hmm. reacting the same way if you mm -hmm. were going through this. And, like, you just sort of see his descent into madness. And, like, it's, it's, I think it's, it goes hand in hand with the idea that it, sort of like in cartoons, how you laugh when you see Wile E. Coyote get an anvil dropped on his head because you know that it's not real there no one is actually getting hurt and so it's there there's something that we find funny about pratfalls and seeing people suffer because we know that it's not permanent um and they're not they're not really like suffering long-term trauma it's just a temporary sort of like, you know, getting like a little static shock or something like that. And yeah. we, we laugh at it. For some reason, laughter is a natural reaction to that. If you actually saw someone in real life get their head crushed by an anvil, laughing is the last thing you'd be doing in real life. And we, like, we smirk about it now, but that's because just referencing the concept of that still isn't reality, you think, right? You it's, still just, think of uh, it's just an idea. You still think of Wile E. Coyote, right? But that's the thing with Groundhog Day. It's, it gets it has the the luxury of remaining funny because even when he actually is really suffering, it just gets reset. 
so there's no consequences. And indeed, he descends so far, he gets suicidal. He, he kills himself dozens and dozens of times, and it starts to get really dark. But he's still not, he just wakes up again the next day like nothing happens. So he's not, it's like he's living out a cartoon. He's not actually getting hurt. Hmm. But yeah, there was, oh, there's something about, um, oh, uh, how you mentioned how he gets really good at Jeopardy. I love that scene in particular because it's show, like, he's still, like, that's, like, not even halfway through the movie. So he's still not learning the moral lesson. So even, like, the things that he's learning, he's still using it in a jerk way. Like, now he's, like, trying to, like, impress people as though yeah, it's not because he he's, he knows this. Advantage, yeah. yeah, he's not, he's not, he, he's trying to make it look like he's a genius and he's giving the answer before the question even gets asked. So now they're looking at him like he's like telepathic or something. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And I, I also had Scrooged uh, nice. on my short list as well. That's a great one too. Oh yeah, that, that movie's amazing. Like my favorite scene of that movie, bar none, which there are a lot of good ones, but when... Uh, Bill, they like hit Bill Murray's like the CEO of whatever TV company, right? Or the president. And uh, he's got his team of executives and they show him, this is near the beginning of the movie. They show him like what they want the preview for their, you know, night, night before Christmas thing to be. And they're like, Oh, what do you think of it? And he's like, okay, well, I can't remember how he reacts, but he's he, like, he does the, he, oh. he fakes it and goes, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did that suck? Yeah. <laughs> and then he plays his, and it's like, <laughs> it shows like nuclear war and like plague and all this stuff. It's got like highway robbery. I just remember the highway robbery part, and guys have like a shotgun stuck out of a car. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. It's it's like, just the, like the night the reindeer died or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and then he gets to the end of it, and he's just like looking at them, expecting them to be all impressed, right? He's like, "We want to make them so so scared of missing." <laughs> <laughs> and then, like the next day, they show him the headlines of the of the newspaper. They're like, "Some old lady died of a heart attack when she saw your trailer," and he's like, "Oh my god." You can't buy publicity like that. <laughs> Just totally not understanding the consequences. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a super good movie too. Um, my third movie. So this is someone actually amazingly we haven't even mentioned yet, and this is someone I compare to Jim Carrey in the sense of like. They had a ton of big hits in the 90s, and it's just, there's just like a small handful of ultra classic movies, um, and that would be Chris Farley, my favorite Chris Farley movie. It's tough. It's tough. I'm going to go with Tommy Boy just because I've seen that one the most, and again, I appreciate the, like, the feel-good feel vibes to it. Like, he's a complete idiot, but like somehow throughout the course of the movie, he managed it. Like, his dad dies, and it's like... Uh, their factory is going to shut down and that's going to kind of kill his hometown. But somehow he manages to like save the day at the end. And he find like, he finds his like sales skills, which is like, he doesn't have street smarts or he doesn't have um, book smarts, but he has street smarts. But yeah, that one's like got a lot of laughs in it too. And that's got a good, good uh, dynamic between him and David Spade. 
like David Spade is just always like quick and witty and like quick to point out what a moron he is. <laughs> oh man, I think the part I laughed at the hardest the first time I saw it was uh, the part where the like they run over the deer and they're super sad about it, and then they they feel bad, so they put the deer in the back seat, and then the deer like <laughs> wakes up as they're driving and like rampages and destroys uh, the car, which is like. David Spade's like uh, some kind of classic car that David Spade owns that's like his prized possession. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I've always thought Chris Farley was really funny, but for some reason I never got into him like as a as a fan of his work. But mm. there is one movie that um, I don't know if I'd necessarily put this top three, but it's real close. And Chris Farley does have a small role in it. Dirty work. You seen Dirty Work? No. Okay, so this is um, a, uh, uh, a film written by and starring Norm MacDonald and was actually directed by Bob Sagan. And it was like one of my, like the first looks, if, if like I wasn't familiar with Bob Saget's stand-up, so I never realized, like my whole impression of Bob Saget was totally gumball, full house, America's, you know, favorite videos. Uh, funniest videos and um so i didn't realize that he had such a background in like kind of like dirty adult humor so like he his signature was really all over this with how he directed it but um it's uh for some reason i don't i don't understand this either it's one of the most hysterical movies i've ever seen and a lot of people hate it i don't get it but the, the whole premise is norm mcdonald is this kind of goofball loser that's coasted through his life. He's got nothing going for him. And um, the movie begins with like his girlfriend kicking him out of their apartment and stuff like that. And um, so uh, it's just him and his buddy who's kind of in a similar situation. His buddy lives with his dad. And so he ends up crashing with them. And um, they're trying to figure out like what the hell to do with their lives. And uh, through a course of events, they discover that they have a talent that they haven't really thought of before. It's just something that's always been there. And their talent is they're really, really good at revenge. They're really good at finding ways of getting back at people that, that screw with them. And then all of a sudden this light bulb goes off. What if we started a revenge for hire business? So like, let's say you've got a neighbor that really pisses you off. You come to us for a fee, we'll do something to piss your neighbor off. And so they start this business called Dirty Work. And that's like sort of the whole premise is, is just coming up with ways of, of uh, like screwing with people, pulling pranks on people. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain it without getting deeper into the, the plot, but... Uh, uh, it's it's really like uh, aside from just you know again the kind of trite oh really funny the good jokes or whatever but it was like also like a really like unique concept that I haven't seen done anywhere else definitely worth checking out. Talking about that, I don't know why you just reminded me of this, but here's another obscure movie, and uh, this one probably would fall under the genre of comedy, although it's kind of like like a weird. It's not like a mystery thriller. It's more comedy than anything else. Uh, what the heck was it called? You might know it, Jordan. Uh, it's an old Tom Hanks movie, like from the late 80s or early 90s, where him 
Like he lives. Oh, the Burbs. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he lives in the suburbs and he's got like some normal neighbors, but then there's like this really like weird old creepy house where this really bizarre family moves in, and it's the whole movie is about like what the heck is going on with this really strange family. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I got reminded me of that. Um, <laughs> I guess just like having the bad neighbor. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, so yeah, it's Tommy Boy. That's uh, that's definitely an excellent movie. Um, and then like the other Chris Farley. So when you said Chris Farley having a small role, I thought you were going towards Wayne's World there. Um, no, I, I I've seen Wayne's World and and the sequel before. I I've only seen them once. I have not again not very a lot of memories. I recall that I thought they were very funny. Um, but aside from aside from Austin Powers, I never got into Mike Myers that much either. Hmm. Never saw saw I Married an Axe Murderer. No. Oh wow! The, a lot of people consider that like a super cult classic. Oh. Okay. Wow. There's a lot. There's a lot in that movie that's sort of like you can see glimpses of, of like Austin Powers type of humor in that movie. So I would definitely recommend that one. Okay. Um. Yeah, Wayne's World is is pretty hilarious. Uh. But yeah, uh, I know Chris Farley has a um, a small cameo either in the first one or the second one. Like, they're uh, they go to talk to him to like try and get into a concert or something. He's playing a bouncer at a concert and he's buddies with them, so he's like, "Oh yeah, you can go in or whatever." And then, uh, literally, the actor that plays T one thousand from Terminator Two approaches Chris Farley and he's like. <laughs> I'm, or is it him or is it Wayne? Where he's like, "Have you seen this boy?" And Wayne like looks at the camera like, "Oh." <laughs> 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 um. Yeah, yeah. The other classic Chris Farley movies for me were Black Sheep. Black Sheep had David Spade as a sidekick again, and they yeah. were clearly just trying to like recapture. Like it was almost like a very similar story where uh, only this time it was like, I don't know, they lived in some town where there was like a, an election that was about to happen and like one of the politicians was corrupt and they somehow found out. So they embark on some kind of wacky journey to try and like set things right. Uh, I remember Gary Busey is in that movie as like a sort of like a, uh, like a living out in the woods, like prepper psycho kind of guy that they like cross <laughs> accidentally and uh yeah they have some hijinks trying to escape from him <laughs> uh a movie that honestly i would have even though i like tommy boy more it's closer to my heart i would have to say objectively probably even funnier is beverly hills ninja if you guys have seen that one. i i have seen that one yeah, I remember that the scene where he's 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 all and the it, this is early in the movie, so it's not really ruining anything. But the premise is that he's this complete bumbling moron, but there's a everybody reveres him because they think that there's this prophecy that applies to him that he is this this prophesized great white ninja, great white ninja. and yeah. early in the movie he destroys and burns his temple to the ground and then says perhaps I am not the great white ninja <laughs> <laughs> yeah he takes it all so seriously and he tries to talk like a ninja oh man I love in that movie 
well one that movie has chris rock which is pretty hilarious chris rock ends up chris rock is like the only one in beverly hills that like buys into the great white ninja prophecy and and like he like really takes chris farley seriously and like respects him and then like chris rock uh at, at at least one point, he's like talking to somebody else, and he's like bragging about how they think he's the great black ninja. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like the the subplot they did in that movie, which is like, uh, I've, it's a subplot I've seen in other places before, where like the the actual like best ninja at his temple is a guy named Gobe, and so. Uh, there's a woman that comes to the temple at the beginning of the movie that she like asks them for help and they can't spare anybody. So they send Chris Farley and he's like on this mission to help this woman. And he thinks it's a really important mission, but then like the headmaster of the temple sends out Gobe to like shadow him just so that he doesn't get into too much trouble. And so like throughout the whole movie, like whenever he's doing something really intense, like he'll like screw it all up and then Gobe will be like secretly there without him knowing like fixing it all for him. Yeah, it's it's like in uh, Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget's this total idiot who screws up everything, yeah. but Penny and Brain right. come in behind the scenes and fix everything. And he doesn't realize, he thinks he's this brilliant detective who just stops all the bad guys. It's yeah. like that same dynamic. I, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a really funny one. And then the final movie of his that got released, it got released after he died, um, but it was him and uh, Matthew Perry from Friends. Uh, all, almost almost heroes. Okay. And okay. They were... Uh, Matthew Perry was like a, an explorer who was trying to like compete with Lewis and Clark to like reach the West Coast first. This was like in the old, you know, American pioneer days and uh he takes chris farley i think as a guide or something like that but chris farley is just a complete moron as usual and uh actually eugene levy is in that movie as well as, like there's some kind of like strange french uh i don't know some other guy another anyway. uh second city alumni yeah 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 mm. so yeah those are my movies nice now nice. what are your movies dude so I didn't really have time to pick like three movies specifically. So it doesn't have to be three. Yeah, well, like like in general, but like yeah, it was basically rounded down to like Ace Ventura, like Austin Powers and Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about like Billy Madison. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, we, like older Adam Sandler ones are classics now. Yes, like specifically older, because <laughs> like, like one, uh, like some of the greatest jokes in Billy Madison were the O'Doyles. <laughs> one of the best long form jokes ever. <laughs> Like there's an adult, an adult in every like couple grades, and they all just fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> For the longest time, I didn't see that movie until I was like well into my twenties. So for okay. the longest time, I had no idea what people were talking about. I just hear randomly every once in a while, "Adoyal rules. rules." What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> 
And another scene I really love in that movie is, um, like, it's another, like, long-running joke in the movie. At one point, a clown fucking, like, falls, and he's, like, knocked unconscious. And then in the middle of a song in the movie, the clown gets back up and starts singing. <laughs> I don't remember and he's like, that. hey, kids, it's me, but you thought that I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like when he graduated, I think, like, first grade or something. He had, like, a giant oh, okay. party. Right, right. Well he, he, well, he had a party, uh, like, every two weeks, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and at one of the parties, the clown, like, fell down and, like, cracked his head open. And everyone was freaking out. And then during one of the big scenes in the movie, the clown gets back up and starts singing. <laughs> I personally was always a much bigger fan of uh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah, a lot of people like Happy Gilmore a lot more. Like, yes, the golf scene with Bob Barker. (laughs) The Bob Barker scene was classic, and I always loved um, Joe Flaherty's character. Shooter McGavin hires just to screw him up. (laughs) Hey, Happy, you will not make this putt, you jackass! (laughs) Just keeps calling him a jackass every time he pops up. Uh, Yeah, I... I think the last like good Adam Sandler movie was a like, click. Oh, I haven't seen Uncut Gems. I hear that's really good, but that's not a comedy. I don't think. I have not seen Click. But... Click is good because like it turns serious. Like you start feeling for like the character at the end because like yeah, the whole premise is like he has a universal, like literal universal remote control, right? Where you can like go back and forth in time and pause it slow it down, see it or whatever. And, like, it's, yeah, like, the trailer scene is him, like, slowing down when a girl with giant boobs is jogging. I <laughs> know. <laughs> but, um, the remote starts glitching, and, like, he starts going way too far ahead in time, to the point where, like, his kids are growing up without him. His wife has left him for another person, and he's, like, fucking depressed. He's on his deathbed. But the movie's funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aside from that part where it's like, oh, shit. This movie's actually, like, legit. Hmm. Uh, was um, Christopher Walken in that one? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, so that's how he gets the remote. He goes to Bed Bath & Beyond. And the beyond is is the remote. Oh, <laughs> that's the beyond. <laughs> you know, th- this movie got like pretty universally panned, but I actually thought Pixels was pretty decent. I never saw it. I, I saw I, I saw the trailers and I was like, oh god, no. Like, I mean, it seemed like they were going for like a lot of the easy video game gag references, um, and so and it did. Um, but I still thought like they pulled it off pretty, yeah, like well. Like I mean, it was it was exactly what you would expect it to be. But what it was trying to do, it it did a good job. Like I don't I don't think it was bad. I think it was just people were like people didn't judge it fairly for what it was. They were just sort of like oh, turned off by the movie. idea immediately, right? And this was like on like because now like people are like starting to remember Adam Sandler more fondly again. But there was that like 10, 15 year period where he was box office poison. Everything that he touched yeah. was just horrible. 
you couldn't mention his name without people rolling their eyes. So I think people were already primed to just hate anything that he did. And this yeah. just seemed so kind of, I don't know. I, I don't even really know how to describe it exactly. It seemed like too cringy. obvious, maybe. Cringy, maybe? Yeah, maybe that was it too. Maybe people thought like, oh, like it, th this is all the movie is going to be. It's going to be just references and yeah, it's like going to try to like the post obvious, on that. The obvious gaming humor. Yeah, like, oh, like I remember Pac-Man. Do you remember Pac-Man? Here's Pac-Man. Let's all rally around how much we all love Pac-Man. Yeah. And like, I guess, you know, people just uh, assumed that that was going to be the whole movie. And again, it, it kind of was that, but it was like what it was. They did a good job. It wasn't like poorly made. And there was actually like, some of the humor was like, like made me laugh actually. It was, it yeah. was pretty good jokes, I thought. Though, um, this reminds me of- The better version of Pixels is Futurama. That one Futurama episode. Oh yeah. Oh the yes. The one yeah, 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 yeah. The planet Nintendo 64. Nintendo <laughs> 64. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fantastic episode, yeah. Um, where the uh, they come to invade Earth and it's like the space invaders and yeah, Captain, they're picking off all our ships. What are your orders? Drop down, reverse direction, and increase speed. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty. That was a, a really good. Uh, um, like what, what was the successful way of incorporating all those references without it seeming like a cheap catch? Was it just? I had the mixtape that he played when he was playing Space Invaders, and I think it was just Aerosmith songs. No, it was Rush. It was Rush. My, my yeah, all it's, Rush mixtape. My all Rush mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got my all Rush mixtape, my two-liter bottle of Shasta, and no date. Ace <laughs> Ventura again. We go back to that. Mm. Like, I think I don't know. It's hard to say which one I like more. It's like, I think the first one is definitely more, like, raunchier. Okay. Especially, especially with the ending. <laughs> yeah. And there's a scene where they literally have sex, so. <laughs> yeah, like, but when, when I think, like, oh, the first movie's better, I think about the rhino scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I liked the second movie a lot, but... That one scene on its own makes the whole thing worthwhile. It's one of the funniest standalone <laughs> scenes in a movie. It's so good. Or the Monopoly Man scene. Yeah. Where he's like beating the shit. <laughs> 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 he's the shit out of this guy. <laughs> mm. That um, reminds me just uh, like I, we keep, I know we kind of keep going on tangents, but I guess that's sort of the nature of the beast. But I had put aside um, a couple of movies that I also had like a double asterisk I put on because um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, these movies, like they're, they're good movies in their own right. They're funny. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily consider them my favorite comedies, but they're worth watching. But I would recommend these movies again for the same reason that they contain a single scene that is okay. among one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, I've got two. Um, the first is the original Pink Panther. Okay. Um, there's a scene near the end. There's this car chase scene. I'm not going to spoil it for you. In fact, after we're done here, I'll just send you the link for it. You can see it for yourself. 
I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it's one of the best car chase scenes ever put on film. And then the other is a movie called Hot Rod uh, that not a lot of people have heard of. Very limited run. Uh, it's uh, stars uh, Andy Samberg. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, the movie is about how he's um, uh, the son of a famous um, like evil Knievel kind of like a sh um, stunt, like motorcycle stunt driver. Daredevil. Daredevil, yeah. Motorcycle daredevil guy. And um, so he's now trying to like, I guess, follow in his father's footsteps. Um, and so the whole movie is about him trying to like organize this big jump. Um, and uh, like he's making these like little baby steps along the way. So like first he tries to like just jump over like the community swimming pool, but he can't even he can't even do that because Ellie's God is this crappy little moped that like like you could walk faster than it drives basically, <laughs> um, and stuff like that. It's 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 a it's a decent comedy, but again, there's one scene I won't ruin it for you. I'll just send you the link. Um, but the whole movie is worth for just this one scene where, um, he, uh, I guess he lives, uh, as I said, he's trying to, he's trying to follow in his father's footsteps, but his father has since passed. Now he lives with his, his stepfather and his stepfather is highly disapproving. He thinks this guy's just a loser, a bum, never going to amount to anything. And he gets into an argument with his stepfather. And so to try to clear his mind, he he's just so pissed off he goes to his his um uh his safe place which is this like a grove out in the middle of like the forest where he can just sort of like unwind and uh like mellow out or whatever and like try to like i don't know clear his mind and get back on track and uh it's it's a three minute sequence that i just I, i'm not sure i've laughed that hard ever and it's it's so out of place because the rest of the movie is really funny and worth watching, but this movie just hits you like a ton of or that that scene hits you out of nowhere, and I was not prepared for it. But uh, yeah, those those two scenes I would recommend: Hot Rod and The Pink Panther. Um, I'm gonna see if there's anything else on here that because I got a lot of other ones that are like again obvious, but I wanna see if this. Oh, you were we were talking earlier about um. Um, uh, Bill Murray, uh, uh, Groundhog Day, and um, uh, Scrooged. Um, those are probably like better, like movies as a whole. But I think the funniest thing that he's done has to be Ghostbusters. I've seen oh, Ghostbusters, yeah, Ghostbusters so many times. Never get tired of of the gags in that one. Um, what else do I have one? Here. Oh, okay. Yes. Here's a movie that also, um, because it's really old, not a lot of younger crowds have ever even heard of this. So I always make sure to recommend this one. And in fact, it's become kind of a running gag with some other friends of mine that I've been trying to get people to watch it for so long that they kind of get to the point where like, oh, Jesus, Jordan's on about this movie again. But I'm on a mission to make sure as many people see this as possible. It's an old Marx Brothers film called Duck Soup. Never heard of it. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to find. The only place I've ever seen it on DVD is part of like a five-disc collection of other 
movies. Um, so I would recommend like just seeing if you can like, you know, get a digital rental somewhere or borrow it from someone. Or I mean, I certainly wouldn't recommend download illegally, but um, no. <laughs> um, but uh, um, you know what? It was 1930s. They've made their money off of it. Uh -huh. oh, You're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dead now. I don't think Groucho Marx is going to care. But um, it's sort of like a, a political satire. But if you're not politically inclined, you don't need to let that turn you off because there's really, there's really nothing political about it. Like, it's just that they're people in politics. The premise is that um, uh, the, um, the president of this made-up country called Fredonia, either he, I can't remember if he dies or he just uh, gets... Um, deposed or something like that and so they need a new leader and randomly uh this woman suggests this total goofball and because this this country is like leaderless and rudderless and they're all they're just kind of a, a an entire nation of of goofs they don't know any better they don't have any better ideas so they literally just go yeah okay let's make him president that's fine and because he doesn't know what he's doing he's just flying by his, the seat of his pants the whole way, screwing up basically everything along the way. Um, it's kind of really hard to describe it beyond that, um, other than it follows in like the typical like Marx Brothers sort of comedy format, which is that the plot doesn't really matter. The plot is just there to serve as an excuse for making the movie because really all the movie is is a long series of disjointed jokes. And it's just about seeing just how silly these guys are. That's, that's really all it is. So it's just kind of like a bunch of just silly scenes. Um, okay. But, uh, so I don't know, like that, that maybe doesn't, it maybe doesn't make it sound very appealing. You're just gonna have to take my word for it that it really is really hysterical. There's this classic scene where um, they sneak into uh, the guy's hotel room because they want to like bug his hotel room to listen in on his conversations to try to get some like dirt on their political opponents or whatever. So the way they figure out how to sneak into the hotel is to wear a disguise to make them look exactly like him. But then they kind of catch on something's happening. They're like, oh, there's some guys in a disguise in, in the hotel. They're running around. There's, they're trying to look like, uh, the, the main character's name is uh, Rufus T. Firefly. Like someone's running around looking like Firefly, somebody get him. So now they're running around this hotel room trying to catch him. And as they're running away, he crashes into this like wall length mirror and breaks the mirror and thinks, oh crap, I've totally given myself away. And so the only way he can think to make it seem as though nothing has happened is when Firefly finally comes there. He does the old, like now it's, it's a cliche to us, but this was such an original idea at the time where he stands in this, now just this hole in the wall, pretending as though the mirror is still intact and doing the whole like, trying to emulate his slow motions yeah. because he's wearing the disguise so he looks like him too. And it's this like five minute long scene that happens in complete silence. There's no dialogue of any kind. It's just so hmm. funny. Speaking of the old uh, 
Pink Panther movies. I forgot about those, but like some of those are really, really hilarious. Uh, my favorite one, I think it was called The Pink Panther Strikes Back. Um, I can't even remember the plot, but at some point, they're investigating some kind of murder, or he's investigating some kind of murder, and he's at this like, like fancy estate, and he's like getting the tour around it so that he can inspect things. He like goes into the workout room, and uh, it it makes it look like he's like walking in the dark. He like uh, there's no light in the room, so he's got like a match lit or something like that, and it looks like he's walking. And then, like, eventually the butler comes in and turns the light on, and he's just been walking on a conveyor belt. <laughs> um, he ends up, like, uh, he tries to, like, show off his, like, physical prowess, so he's, like, doing all these, like, prat falls on the workout equipment, and then he, like, vaults over the stair railing and then, like, tumbles down the stairs into, like, the living room where there's all these people sitting. And then, uh, and then he starts giving them all the third degree. Like, they're all, like... Uh, I don't even think they know about a murder. And he's like, I'm here to investigate the murder. And the woman's like, murder? And he's like, who said murder? Why you did. I said murder. You said murder. <laughs> oh, man. It's pretty hilarious. He gets his hand, like, stuck in, like, an ancient gauntlet that has, like, a mace or, or like, a, a morning star stuck at the end, like a, a flail. Right. So he's, like, wandering around the room. Like, pacing around the room, like, trying to, like, set up, uh, you know, some plot he has to try and, like, make them talk or something. And then he, like, kind of does, like, an aha, and he, like, slams, like, a giant, like, he slams the mace into a piano. Oh, man. Yeah, the, uh, that movie was really, really hilarious. Yeah, Peter Sellers was uh, one of the best physical comedians at the time. Uh, another movie I just remembered that was definitely in the running for me was uh, Idiocracy, if you guys have ever seen mm. that movie. I know the movie. I haven't seen it the whole way through. I've seen a couple scenes. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, Mike Judge, creator of uh, Beavis and Butthead and uh, King, King of the Hill. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's just like, it's like a future dystopian comedy where like the future society that everybody lives in like, people are just complete idiots, and everything is, like, a really exaggerated version of all, like, the the stupidest parts of mainstream culture. So, like, uh, I remember the main character goes to, like a, like, a video screen kiosk to, like, buy fast food, and instead of Fuddruckers, it's, <laughs> it's called Buttfuckers, and he buys, <laughs> and buys the food. And then, like, it's all, like, the machine's talking to him as he does this, right? And at the end, like, he buys it. And then the thing's like, thank you for shopping at Buttfuckers. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, service with a smile. Oh. Uh, at one point, he's this, and it's Owen Wilson, or, or Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson, uh, the yeah. The Wilson brother. Uh, he's, like, um... I think he's like his lawyer. He gets into trouble, and I think his lawyer is Dax Shepard. Um, so I don't, I don't know why he ends up at Dax Shepard's house, but Dax Shepard is like watching some TV show called "Ow, My Balls," and it's just people getting hit in the balls <laughs> over and over. <laughs> uh, they send him to rehabilitation, and it, the rehabilitation is just like him going into arena, an arena 
and like having to like fight some guy with like giant weapons and stuff. <laughs> um, Terry Crews is the president, and like all the famous people have like product placement names. So the president, I think, like I don't know, he's got like a bunch of like brand names like within his name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that movie is like a super good movie. I would honestly recommend it. I, I had heard it described to me before that Luke Wilson is like just an ordinary guy, but yeah. because everyone is so staggeringly dumb, everybody thinks he's a genius. Yeah, they they think he's like an asshole because he's like too smart, but he's like he just like asks basic questions. <laughs> There's actually a lot of famous people in that movie. There's a scene where he's like they don't know who he is so he's like getting or no he has to go to the hospital for something and he goes to the hospital and like justin long is the receptionist and he's like trying to process him so justin long is like kind of like a hippie not a hippie but like a stoner bro character just like hey man yeah i'll get you set up whatever and then uh like he just like keeps talking and then he notices like uh that he like doesn't have a tattoo and he starts getting like freaked out because they all have like tattoos because it's supposed to be like a future dystopia where everybody's like in the system he's like okay. wait a minute you're not unscannable are you unscannable <laughs> <laughs> just like starts freaking out um his name in the movie ends up becoming uh not sure because he like goes to like some other kiosk to like get his like id bracelet or something and uh, he's, like, really confused about how he got there because he time-traveled there. So he's still confused. But the machine asks him, like, what is your name? He's like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to – not sure. <laughs> and so I, his name for the whole movie ends up becoming not sure. <laughs> and then, like, this isn't really spoiling anything because the story doesn't matter that much. You just have to watch it to see how funny it is. But, like, uh, the society ends up, like – having like a major crisis where like uh all the crops are dying and uh like they're gonna run out of food and so they end up recruiting him as like someone who can help them so he, he goes like with the president and the president's like you know cabinet of people and they're trying to figure out like what to do i can't remember how it all goes but like he ends up finding out that they water all their crops with uh, Brondo, which is like their version of Gatorade. Uh, Brondo, it's got what plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> so they're watering all their fields with Brondo. And he's like, wait a minute, don't you think you should water those, or don't you think you should feed those plants water? And the one guy's like, oh, you mean like from the toilet? <laughs> uh, it, it's a really funny movie. That is an interesting uh, premise. That's like uh, like my favorite genre of film is probably sci-fi because I just like getting to see things like in, you know, a context that you wouldn't like get a chance to see or explore anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But comedy is very often a, a really good outlet for that as well. Like, you know, Groundhog Day and stuff like that. Mm. Um, here's another really good, um, like an interesting premise that I, you wouldn't see anywhere else that like even Dave suggests this, I don't see how it could be anything other than a comedy. Um, and again, a, a movie, not a lot of people have heard of, uh, called, um, it's called without a clue. You heard of that one? I don't think so. Okay. So basically, no, so. uh, this is what it is. It's a 
a standard Sherlock Holmes story. Sherlock Holmes and Watson in old-timey England just solving murder mysteries. But the gag is that it's Watson who's the smart one. Sherlock Holmes not only is not a detective, he's a total moron, and he's just an actor playing the character of Sherlock Holmes. And all he's doing is just repeating this script that John Watson wrote for him, basically. So I don't think I really need to like talk about the plot because that concept kind of uh, writes itself almost. Like you can imagine the type of hijinks they would get up to. It's just hilarious though. Like sometimes like he's left with his foot in his mouth because everybody, everybody buys it. Everybody thinks that Sherlock Holmes is the real deal. He's the genius. He's the brains behind the operation. And sometimes he's stuck in a situation where he doesn't have Watson whispering in his ear. So he's got to improvise to the best of his ability to keep up appearances. So like they, they'll be at like a, I don't know, staying at a, an inn or something and they'll, you'll hear a scream and then they go out to investigate and this big crowd is gathered and someone has been stabbed in the back. There's a big knife sticking out of his back. He's just laying there. And uh, they come and they go, Sherlock Holmes is here. Sherlock, help us. T tell, tell, like, do, work your magic. Just come in and just analyze the situation and automatically know what, what's gone on just by, you know, looking at a, some little detail that no human being other than you would ever notice or whatever <laughs> it is. And, and he doesn't know what to do. So he, he approaches the, the body and he gets this long stick and he pokes the body and then he pokes it a little bit more in a little bit different place. And then he looks to the crowd and says, yes, it is my opinion, he is dead. <laughs> and the whole crowd, the whole crowd is like, oh, he's brilliant. Like, <laughs> like he's got all of England so enamored that they don't like understand that he's not this genius. Like, and because I guess the point is that Watson, even though he's the genius, he doesn't want the fame. So, but he still wants to like tell the stories. So he writes these stories about Sherlock and everything. And then just he hired this, this actor to play out the parts and everything. Right. Um, but the stories got so popular that it's like all that anybody in London ever talks about is Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's the celebrity of their time. So everyone's just drooling over how brilliant they think this guy is that they, they don't even listen to what he's actually saying. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, worth, it's worth finding if you, if you can track it down. Well, uh, I've got like more on my list, but we've been going for a while. So I don't know how much longer we want to drag this out for, but is there anything else? Uh, that stands out at the top of your head that really needs to be uh, recommended? No, I think, I think I've covered pretty much my, uh, my range when it comes to comedy. Yeah. 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 yeah likewise. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can, you know, and again, I could probably do like a whole separate podcast just on like not as well known titles and stuff like that. So I could probably like save a lot of what I've still got for a later date anyway. <laughs> but um, okay. Well, um, that was uh, fun. Um, unfortunately, because of the technical difficulties, we went way, way later than we normally do. But I guess when it's all oh, shit, edited bro. together, it's, it may still end up being about the same length as a normal podcast for us.
Um, but um, on that note, um, for anybody who is listening, um, I hope you found this entertaining. And um, we'll see you again next week with uh, a new topic, which uh, has, is it yet to be determined or have we decided? Oh no, we said we were going to talk about Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah. Stranger yeah. Things next week. So if you're a fan, look forward to that. Fuck, that thing was hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, you're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Just in time yeah, to say bye. Yeah, bye. 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 If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in other affiliated projects, you can check out my blog at curseyoujordan.home.blog, where I write about some more esoteric aspects of games that appeal to me. Or you can visit my channel at youtube.com slash user slash curseyoujordanshow, where you'll find video game walkthroughs, commentaries, vlogs, and a video version of this podcast. Conversely, if you're currently watching the video but are interested in an audio-only version, you'll find that at anchor.fm slash superfuntime. The Superfuntime podcast thingy hour is produced by Jordan Rowmaker, Matt Frappa, and Eric McLennan. The opinions expressed are solely those of the individual. Thank you for listening.